Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode 33, and today we are going to begin uh, what feels like a really um, long, long time awaited, coming. Yeah. Long expected party, say. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, we've been, of course, talking about talking around the Peter Jackson adaptations, kind of using them as a framework in some ways for uh, later discussion, especially of the Rings of Power. Um, but we've never actually sat down and talked about, like really done analysis of the Peter Jackson films themselves. Um, so we're going to do that. This we're not going to even attempt to do this in one session. <laughs> Please. So, um, there will be, there will be a number of sessions that we're going to, and, and we may end up having to interrupt it to do other things as well, which is fine. Um, but, uh, but this is a discussion we wanted at least to get a good, um, to get a good beginning on today. Uh, cause I do think that it's a, it's a really important discussion. We wanted to start off just with some, sort of context, right? Some some kind of background. Uh, Maggie, you wanted to talk about the film, sort of like the yeah, thinking I mean, of the significance of these films in some way. Especially ways. with this crowd, I feel like we all know a ton about it, right? Like we've mm -hmm. all listened to the audio commentary. We've all fallen down the rabbit hole and read the movie companion guides because these movies came out before all of the, the, the interaction stuff that we have with like internet and whatnot. So I just thought it was kind of important to talk about like the process of the film being made mm -hmm. as much as it is to talk about it as an adaptation, because as an adaptation, it did a lot. It wasn't just taking Lord of the Rings and bringing it to the screen. It was taking fantasy literature and bringing it some street cred. It was mm -hmm. taking mm -hmm. an epic story and bringing it to popular media. And so there were just a lot of things that I feel like the film set out to accomplish. So it's a big task. Um, so I just thought it was worth looking at a little bit. So like, um, we came, we know it came out 2001 to 2004. Um, it was filmed 1997 to 1999. And I think people tend to forget that element. Um, it was filmed, you know, all in one. So it wasn't filmed like a, this one, two, right, three. Film, it was, yeah, yeah. It was all filmed together. Yeah. Um, but it was filmed real early, you know, before the 2000s. Um, and it was before internet. It was before the iPhone, which was 2005. It was before Facebook. It was before Twitter, which was 2006. Like, it's just before all this stuff. And the way yes. that they were able to tap into, I think, fan community was one of the things that, it wasn't one of the things, it was the thing that got me into this. Like, I didn't know this was a field. It wasn't really that massive of a mm -hmm. field until well after this. Um, but just the way that they kind of interacted with their community, because as we know, the Tolkien community is pretty massive and very loud and opinionated um, for all the right reasons. And and they took that to heart. Um, and there's just some really interesting ways in which Lord of the Rings like managed that. And Peter Jackson kind of embodied a fan himself. Mm -hmm. um, and there were pictures released of him holding the pipe leaning against a tree and stories of Christopher Lee. Um, that's right, Christopher Lee, um, reading the text before filming and reading sections of it out loud and talking about you know, his experience with Tolkien and things like that, just bringing those elements to the commentary and bringing those elements to the fans, just kind of reassuring them in a way that hadn't been done before and is now so commonplace that when people don't do it, you're like, oh my God, you're so dumb. But then it was, it was quite pioneering for them to acknowledge the fandom and incorporate that community into their own processes and, and embrace it. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I mean, it, it was, I can go off on that tangent for a real long time. So if, if you want me to happily, but 
it was very much just like this was the film that got me into this this is the film that i think opened up a lot of opportunities and a lot of ways for people to think about adaptation and specifically fantasy film adaptation because this swept the oscars in 2004 it, it won what 11 of the 14 i think mm-hmm. um and fantasy film hadn't had a sweep like that before and it was this that kind of made folks sit up and notice like oh there's an audience for this and then we had this you know it also came out the same time as harry potter started so like then there was this this explosion of fantasy lit adaptation which was lovely for those of us that love it but also really crappy for those of us that love it because so many bad adaptations came out (laughs) in that time because they were really rushing them um and then the filmmaking side of it this is the part that i feel I guess most strongly about when we talk about adaptation and specifically this one, because Corey and I feel differently about these films, but in a really interesting and I think very cool way, um, because you came at it from literature and had to deal with that, right? Like that's, that's a process. And I came at it from nothing. I had read Lord of the Rings when I was little, but I didn't sharp. Sorry guys. I didn't like it. I didn't have that immediate. It took a while. It was a slow grow with me. This was my gateway drug. So like I watched these films and hook, line and sinker, I fell in and then you give me all the extra information. And I mourn that now with no DVD special features and things like that, that we don't have that kind of access, but you know, being able to fall down the rabbit hole of extended editions and all of those extra documentaries, that is what made so many of today's filmmakers, like having that behind the scenes content is what opened the door to so many people realizing this was an industry, this was jobs. And this was something that you could do about text that you love and like things that you are obsessed with and you're called a geek for. Like it, it just brought all this like credibility to it that, yeah, I absolutely loved how they handled the adaptation and how they handled the production of it. So lore was completely separate for me. Um, I was fine with whatever they did because what they were doing was such a big deal. Yeah. And there's some things that you're like, okay, why did you make that decision? Who is this? What do you do? Yeah. Some of that right. came in too, but I also enjoyed listening to them talk about their process. You know, they were really thoughtful and open and sharing about the changes that they made. And, and I now use this as a case study, obviously, cause you know, I love Tolkien and things like that, but I really do use this as a case study for like fan management, how they discuss adaptation and how they work their way you know, around the changes that they made and how they communicate that to the fans and stuff, but also just for their own passion and process in it and mm-hmm. what that did. But yeah, again, guys, I can digress for a while on this, but I just thought it was really important to just kind of know that we're not just talking about taking the text of the Lord of the Rings and bring it to the screen. It was really starting a movement, I think, of popular film adaptation and fantasy lit adaptation and just what it was trying to accomplish. Because like you were saying before we started, Corey, there have been so many adaptations of Lord of the Rings prior to this. Yeah. You know, we all love the B- Yeah, we all love the BBC radio one. The Bakshi stuff makes me laugh, but it's actually pretty great in terms of like tone and content. You know, so there's a lot of things that happened before, but we all know that it didn't quite accomplish adaptation of Lord of the Rings. It it tried it and none of them really do what I think we want it to do. I'm not saying this one's perfect, but it it really did take a stab at doing the mm-hmm. big picture. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to shut up for a sec. Cause no. Yeah. Well, it. so from the, from the Tolkien sort of text perspective, and of course here I always run the risk of just like 
projecting my own experience out onto the entire Tolkien community. And I know, not, you know, lots of people had very different experiences than I did. But I really do think that in some ways, the Peter Jackson films were really the first time that the Tolkien community was confronted with the issue, like the adaptation issues, you know, all of the things that you work through in seeing an adaptation really functionally for the first time. I say that not just, I'm not, and in saying that I'm not dissing the other productions, the Rankin-Bass Hobbit and the, the Bakshi Lord of the Rings and stuff and the, you know, the Rankin-Bass Return of the King. And not to mention, you know, Maggie, as you mentioned, the BBC audio adaptations mm. and the other audio adaptations, the Mind's Eye one, um, which is the one that I grew up listening to, um, it, purely based on what I could find in the little bookstore in my town in the eighties, basically is, is yeah. what that meant. They had the little wooden boxed set of the mind's eye tapes, uh, in my, in the toadstool bookstore down in Milford, but you know, and my, <clears throat> in uh, which I got in like 1986, 87. Wow. I can't remember exactly when. Um, but anyway, they didn't have the BBC one, so I never heard it, uh, for a while. But, um, anyway, um, Despite the fact that all of these other adaptations existed, um, it kind of like you were saying, Maggie, about like the ambition of the Peter Jackson films, right? This struck a completely different note when it came to its relationship with the text. I mean, whatever you think about the Bakshi films, nobody could see the Bakshi. I mean, it's so short, right? It's it's short, and it's you know it's this short uh -huh. animated film. Nobody going to that would have been like, this is the Lord of the Rings. Like, right. this is this is, this is is the thing, right? This is it. Like, this is Tolkien on film, right? It was obviously, like, a version of the story, you know. A, and you'd a, assume a, it was abridged because it yeah, just seemed... Yeah, way abridged. Yeah, exactly. And, Same thing with yeah. the with the, the Rankin-Bass Hobbit is a, f a relatively full treatment of the story. I mean, they don't... They don't cut the story radically short uh, in a lot of ways. And, of course, The Hobbit is a much shorter story to begin with. Um, so The Rankin-Bass Hobbit is a little bit more in this same category. But, again, it, it, just, it was never quite the thing. The, um, and, and it was, the, like, the, the, the scope and the scale and the press, right? I mean, I remember yeah. the things that I remember hearing and talking about with other Tolkien fans in the late nineties as the, you know, it was in production and we were hearing stories about it. Um, you know, the started to raise really for the first time things like, okay, what if people see this movie and they've never read Tolkien and they think that this is what Tolkien is, right? This is exactly, I mean, it was, almost charming to hear people say almost exactly those same words in exactly that same tone over social media before the rings of power came out. Yeah. And it, yeah. I, I was like, I remember, I remember that. <laughs> I remember this fear. I remember yeah. that. I remember thinking exactly that. And you know, people would be like, but what I'm afraid of is, and I'm like, I hear you, man. I totally yeah. hear you. That's where we all were. Um, and then of course, like after that, but in the, no, go ahead. Go ahead. This was almost next level too, because you know somebody said in the in the chat, nerdly wisdom, internet's also made it possible. But this was also the first time that you had to share it this widely. Yeah. You know, I mean, for the first time, it was out there. 
and people were going to talk about it and you wouldn't be able to stop them because you're not on a sidewalk or at a library <laughs> or something you're on the internet like yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, the internet discussion was was an important element of it as well. But again, I, I think it was... I say it existed independently of that, primarily because I myself was not, like... I was not one of the early internet generation people. Like, I was not one of those people who was, like, you know, on Usenets and stuff, you know, way back in the day. Like, I was. I didn't have a live journal account. You know, I, like, you know, I, I was not one of those, like, um, you know, I was not on the front end of the whole, like, internet community, uh, you know, proto-social media kind of world uh, there. Mm-hmm. Um I was, I mean, I was like interested in the internet, but I was primarily, I mean, don't forget, I was in grad school. I was like right. writing like, my I was... dissertation at this time. So I was busy <laughs> and I didn't spend I was... all that much time on the internet surfing. For I was 18 and a freshman in college. So I'm not sure right. how that makes me feel, but yeah. And yeah. and it, it was this, I mean, yeah, it was also being 18 to be surrounded by a bunch of people who were also 18 and, and the internet just starting. But it was the time that I found the one ring.net and things like that, that, you did. I did refresh it every day to just hear the different opening and to see what news had popped up and, yeah. you know, fall down that rabbit hole. So it, it was the first like fan engagement that I think I personally engaged with as well. Yeah, yeah, and I I didn't actually like I didn't um I didn't read the net like I was not part of that kind of I get that's exactly the kind of thing which. While writing my dissertation, I did not have the brain space right. for. So, I mean, I like I had friends who were Tolkien fans, and we and we talked about it. But it was so again. My my perspective is in that way kind of not very much influenced by the early internet discussions at the time, or the sort of the internet phenomenon in that way. Um, or but uh, but again, as I say, like dealing with this, and so for me, it was it was difficult. It was challenging, and I felt challenged in a way um, I don't remember ever feeling if I could characterize the difference and like what it meant for the Peter Jackson adaptations to exist compared to like the Bakshi film which I saw early on not when it first came out I was too young when it first came out but um, I saw it as a kid um, and again, it was like, remember, no internet, me growing up in a small town. This was like me going to our local blockbuster and one day like being like, what? There's a Lord of the Rings film? Like, who knew? I didn't know. That's amazing. Let's rent that. Wonderful happenstance. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was my discovery of the Bakshi film. And when I watched that, I was like, what the heck did I just see? Right, <laughs> am know? I high right <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, I, I was, I found some of it amusing. I found some of it interesting. But what mm-hmm. I did not feel in any way was outrage. Like that, 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 that reaction yeah. of like, no, oh, they did that wrong and something horrible has happened as a consequence. Like, I didn't feel that in any way. Like that, that was not part of the picture. Um, but again, that was always... With the Peter Jackson films, that was always like brewing, not just with me. You think that was like animation versus live action? In part, but I also think it was just the scope of it. I mean, I I do think that the animation versus live action thing is a big deal. Um, It made a huge, 
I felt it made a huge yeah. emotional difference between there's a sense in which it's like, okay, this is the real story, you know, um, even in, even in the sense that the sense, which was, I mean, I think still remains true though. I think it's much less true now than it was 20 years ago. Um, that people don't take animation as seriously or take it as seriously as like real art or whatever, which is dumb, mm. um, really dumb. But I, I mean, like, so to some extent, like the interest in uh, Japanese anime and things like that has kind of begun mm -hmm. to change that. And even with things like um, like The Simpsons, for crying out loud, mm. you know, like that kind of like the, the, the ways in which there have been over the last 20 years, many different um, and more know, mainstream animated yeah. things which have which have more influenced the mainstream and taken it out of the Saturday morning cartoon uh, uh, world, um, which was the world of animation. Yeah back in well, know, and, also, and also just the marketing of the peter 80s. jackson trilogy i mean we're yeah. not talking about a small animated film this is new line cinema with multi-million behind it with you know images on planes and massive releases and things like that so it's mm -hmm. just such a different scale too they were going for the massive impact yeah 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 no exactly it was it, there was there was a sense of now i know that you know, the Peter Jackson films was not Hollywood. Um, you know, it was it was it was Wellington, right? So it right. Was, and, but yet there was the, there was that sense of like, okay, the the big motion picture industry is now sinking its claws into right. Tolkien. Um, so that was, I think, part of the anxiety and that sense yeah. of like, this is going to get pushed as the thing, you know, yep. um, which really began to fuel the anxiety, which led, which opened the door to those feelings of outrage when yeah. uh, uh, when I when I when I saw it. Um, well, and that goes back to all the things we've been talking about on this of just you just feel such this, you know, need to be defensive of the things that you love and protect yeah. it and, and take care of it. And, and, you know, all those things that we feel when you're reading a book by yourself, you have this really personal attachment. So when somebody else gets their hands on it and a massive audience is trying to interpret it and tell you if it's good or bad. You don't want to hear it because you're wrong. You don't know, you know, you so don't you, know. You do feel exactly. Offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. So I, um, the first thing that I would want to emphasize about the experience of watching the Peter Jackson films. I, and, and I think still to this day, I still believe it is the most, I've said this before when I've given talks about adaptation and stuff like this, um, the ver the first most important thing about the Peter Jackson films and the number one impact that they had is that they were awesome movies. Like the even as someone who actually went in, I was excited, but I with a heavy undercurrent of resistance. I mean, I was, I was, I mean, I didn't go to the film to mock it or something. I didn't go with like, I hadn't made up my mind that I hated it before I stepped foot in the right. theater. I, I really hadn't. Um, but I was very like wary. I went in yeah. full of wariness. Right. Um, and it created, um, I always felt this conflict um, because all of my wariness and all of my still full blooming book purism that I was experienced, that I was, you know, in the midst of at that time, all of that led me to say, oh, this is horrible. Oh, oh look what they've done. Oh my goodness, that's bad. Um, I can't believe they changed that. I can't believe they didn't do that. I can't, what are they even thinking here? 
Um, yeah, that's not who says that line. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but at the same time, so like I was having all of those feelings, but at the same time, I cannot, um, I cannot be unmoved by the fact that I am watching a great film. Yeah, you know, and that. But it, yeah, yeah. And that's such an important distinction. I I don't know if we've talked about it before or not, but like I definitely talk about in class of the distinction between movie and film. And how that compares to to book too, like an adaptation doesn't have to be a pure reinterpretation. It can be a, a changed thing that works mm-hmm. really well. You know, Princess Bride. We talked about that. Like, yeah, it's so different than the book, but wow, it works well as a film. And just having a really entertaining movie that works really well, it's okay for that to be different than the book and for you to like both. Ready Player One. I love the book. I love the movie. They're mm-hmm. real different. But and and I have like specific moods for them too. Like, hi Merlin. Sometimes <laughs> I really want the film, and sometimes I really want the book. And it's okay for a visual medium to be able to give you something different than the textual one can. Yeah. So that's yeah. good. You have that attitude. I'm exactly. very proud well, of you because you weren't the Tolkien professor then either. I was so. not. I was not yet the Tolkien professor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was. Um, and this is why, again, I've said many times, the f- number one responsibility which trumps every other responsibility of an adaptation is to tell a good story. Tell a to good be, like, story. If you're going to make a movie, which is an adaptation, your very first responsibility is to make a great movie. Like that is, that trumps every other responsibility that you have to the text, to the fandom, to make a great film. If you're not, if you're trying to if you're trying to do justice to the book and sacrificing the story yeah. that, you know, the film story that you're telling for the sake of, of of being true to the book, you're doing a bad job. You yeah. you you will I have mean, made a bad adaptation when that happens. I mean, there's no reason for you to adapt a text if you're going to change everything. You can just make your own story and, sure. and not, sure. not have it relate to the text that you're you're working from. Um, but if you're going to make a story off of something that you love, you better love it, right? It better be able. And Hi. you better do a good job. I mean, yeah. and that's the yeah. That's that's some... how you bring honor to it. You loved the book. Yes. Well, try to get us to love the film. Yes. Yes. And this is the thing, like, again, this is where I, I, I always start. And I try always to come back to whenever I get when I get in the weeds and I feel myself starting to get grumpy about moments in the Peter Jackson film. I always come back to. But this is a great film. You know, this this did a really yeah. good job. And again, even when I was at my crankiest and most purest back in the days, I would still find myself saying things like. Well, I admit that this worked really well in the movie, but yeah, but, right. <laughs> you know? and, but but here are my complaints. Um, I'm, I'm like kind of okay with that though too, because that's why adaptation is so fun, right? Like, there's so many things that just get you, oh, really? Like, I don't know, emotive, and there's just really connects. It's nice when you can come at it from that place of curiosity and like pot- potential to be openly mm-hmm. accepting, like you were. But I, I you know, there's so many that I totally get that just straight up anger. I just don't want to be around that if they're just going to be spewing vitriol. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, okay. So Eric is asking me as a formerly, as a former cranky purist, cranky what factors purist. most like turned that. me around to where I am now. Um, years of talking about it, basically. So there, mm. the, what I, what I found was number one, um, I came to a realization the first realization I came to was um, after, and this was, I, I came to fairly quickly. 
um, as I had a series of talking points fairly quickly um, about like things that I, I mean, I could have given you my, my short list of like things I hate most about the movie um, after I watched it, like things I think they get most wrong. Oh, people are going to be asking you for that now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, it's been a long time since I've done that shtick because it, because I've, I've kind of come around, but, um, uh, but um, thinking of the fellowship of the ring film, Arwen, not Arwen's replacement of Gorfindel. That was never my issue. I always was willing to understand that. Um, it was the like Arwen's fate tied to Frodo thing, where mm. and I'm like, what? Like and and the like and we're sending Arwen to the to the harbors. Like seriously, she like Elrond is wants to. I mean that that was that was one of my that was one of my hotspot problems and things. But so like well so l- let me just take that one right thinking about arwen and aragorn's relationship and elrond's relationship with that relationship right um and how they changed that in the film what i swiftly found within months is that in talking about this i found myself saying and thinking more about aragorn and arwen's relationship in the book than i had in years And I was realizing, well, okay, um, it's not that I am, I, I'm coming to, as I talk about it, coming to dislike the choice they made in the film less. It's that I'm realizing that even that negative, that choice that which I really dislike, like I, I had to, I came to the recognition that the my reaction against that moment in the film had drawn my attention to things in the book that I'd never really noticed before. When That's pushed cool. to explain, like, what was it exactly that I disliked yeah. about it, you know, um, I found myself um, doing analysis of things, th- having thing, passages from the text jump out at me that I hadn't really paid much attention to exactly. Um, and, like, what a gift, right? I mean, Yeah, it, it was. It, it's a sideways way to do it, but what a gift to be able to like rediscover your favorite text in a different way. It was, it really was. And this was probably most intensified in his depiction of Gollum. And I know we were kind of wanting to focus a little bit on fellowship of the ring today. We'll get to that. But, um, so I, I, won't, I won't get too much into, you know, detail here. Cause we'll come back to his depiction of Gollum when we talk more in detail. They weren't filmed in order. We don't have to talk about yeah, it. We don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Anyway, point is, in looking at his golem and comparing and contrasting, now I was from the beginning. If there were a place where I was most conflicted in the way I was just describing, of like, you're making some big changes that I don't know that I'm comfortable with, but what you're doing is brilliant, right? The the, the golem depiction was top of the list for that, mm. um, because the the depiction of golem. The characterization of Gollum is so powerful. And mm. while I was just as caught up as anyone else um, has been in the um, not my Faramir movement, um, you know, uh, and the objections to his treatment of Faramir and like the abuse of Gollum by the um, uh, by the Rangers of Athelion, I was so angry at mm. that I was like what are you do- why are you <laughs> doing the ranges of Athelion dirty like that anyway um I uh so but again despite all that I mean it was clear from first viewing that their depiction of Gollum was powerful and compelling and strong 
And that was the very first place where I was like, okay, they've made some serious changes from the book, but actually there are some things that I like about the different, the way they're depicting Gollum that I like better than how yeah. Tolkien depicted him in the book. I'm not saying that that was like, you know, like I, that I was won over to that completely, but I, but I had to admit in, in discussing the, you know, similarities and differences between the film treatment and the book treatment. Um, it was one of the first places where I was led to say, but you know what? Like actually something really interesting is getting accomplished, which is like many of the things that are happening in the book, but which are actually getting at some things that the book is not, um, mm -hmm. is really kind of, uh, kind of passing over. Um, but, and performance uh, too. I mean, we know this was pioneering with motion capture and yeah. Andy Serkis's performance and the process put into that and everything. So, you know, doing each of those scenes so many times anyway, because any actor has to shoot a scene a dozen different yeah. times and then doing it three other times, you know, motion capture and in person and right. know, recording there. There's, there's so much that can be brought to that. So it's nice to see the dynamics of that character in that way. I mean, obviously I didn't know the lore leading into it, but you're right. Like the, the character itself was so engaging that I would hope that you'd be able to see like, all right, they had to give him a scarred, angry, betrayed mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was just a random thing? They were like, all right, Rangers. Well, you know, it was I mean, somebody else we could have pinned that. that no, th there's to? no one else in that, in that role. Um, and I get it. Like I, I, they needed and a I, conflict. They needed a, a, right. a driving. And that's the part where as time has gone on and after several decades, I'm able to let it go. Just like the feeling of anger, you know, <laughs> to want the desire to defend Faramir and the Rangers. The, the shape of that is really uh, the, tr the, if I had to, in one word, encapsulate, what I love about what they captured about Gollum, it would be the word tragedy. They have mm. really made Gollum's story a tragedy. Super and I think tragic. that Tolkien does that too, but he does it differently. And the, the, sh the shape of that story, I find really, really compelling, mm. um, but significantly different uh, in a lot of ways, even, even in, even superficially, like, Gollum talks to himself in the movies. Gollum talks to himself in the books, right? That um, many people don't even see that as a difference. But when you look at how he talks to himself in the books, what he talks to himself about, mm. who exactly it is that he's talking to, um, what Peter Jackson, what the Peter Jackson storyline really leans into is the, the, whole, the whole multiple personality thing. Right, it yeah. leans heavily into the multiple. Gollum doesn't really have multiple personalities exactly, um, not in that way. In any mm. case, um, there's the one conversation, the Slinker and Stinker conversation, which works a little bit like that. And even back mm -hmm. in the Hobbit, you can see he, him going back and forth. But this is him carrying two halves of a conversation. Um, it's like him thinking about a, an issue from two different sides more mm. than it is. I have two different personalities and they're interacting with each other and mm. are in conflict with each other in the way that uh, Peter Jackson, you know, in the famous leave now and, and never come back scene. Um, uh, there's just that's that's not it. It, it doesn't work that way uh, in the in the books. Exactly. And and it's beautifully done 
in the film. Yeah, I mean, you can see with one like that why they would make that decision. Because that, that choice between making a good choice and making a bad choice is such a driving factor of every human experience. Of course you want to play something like that. Are you going to be mm -hmm. good or are you going to be bad? Mm -hmm. Well, let's put both of that in one character and really play right. with that. Because it's going to, hi, it's going to keep the suspense going as well. And that yeah. scene was was is also want to do analysis on it because it's like one of the first scenes that I really noticed filmically because if you time you know the shots of Smeagol versus Gollum it starts with Gollum occupying most of the screen time and Smeagol having less and by the end of the scene Smeagol has more screen time and Gollum has less and, and that, that transition yeah. happens yeah. you know and, and when you start to recognize that you're like oh my god they did that on purpose <laughs> and like it's just a little bit of filmic genius alongside of like character development so like you can see how well it works yeah why they would make that change yeah i think i can also see but i can also understand why that would be difficult yeah no it was but but as i say it was it was it was challenging um that I, my again my primary point is that it's this example of a thing which i could clearly feel as even like as a story within the story right the story of Gollum. It's not just that I'm like, this is a really great movie, but I'm like, this story is a really good story. Even yeah. while at the same time, the other part of my brain is registering all of the differences and all of the ways in which they're deviating from the text and changing and changing the dynamics between Frodo and Gollum and, um, you know, culminating in the what was for a long time my least favorite um, scene in the films which was Frodo sending Sam away on the stairs oh. of Kira Thungle, yeah. um, um, which I still don't like still um, don't like well I didn't like that one either and I wasn't a lore person it just felt yeah. wrong and not for like no you're turning away your friend it just it felt uh, opposite to their characters like Sam would do that Frodo and impractical in so many ways no, like yeah. what you're just going to pack up and go home by yourself at that yeah, point like, like it's you can't climb five stairs by yourself right now like what do you <laughs> right. what's your plan here yeah 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 um no it was that I, I always felt that that was that was weird and sort of unnecessary mm. but um uh yeah yeah anyway um hey. but uh anyhow I, I don't want to uh, get into like nitty gritty critiques yet. Um, yet I was gonna say I'm like don't yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it yet, broad for now. Yet. Yeah. No. But, yeah. Like, but just yeah, so anyway, just to kind of to keep on with the with the big picture. Yeah. Um, so that that was one thing that brought about the change in me was seeing like okay, and this has been something that's stuck with me ever since, and it's the reason why I keep trying to tell people. It doesn't matter to me whether something is a good adaptation. Like when, this is why my experience, my my early experience, even before I changed my views, like my early experience complaining as a purist, yeah, showed me. Like I discovered through that that my own experience of the books was actually being enriched. Like I oh. had this sort of self-awareness to notice that, that like even just in the process of explaining to people what is yeah. bad about yeah. this adaptation is itself enriching my understanding of the original. So far from having the original ruined for me in some way, the original the original was actually being enriched. And this is where I keep coming back down to when when people say, you know, like whether it's the rings of power, whether it's whether it's anything else like, oh, but like. 
I'm just afraid it's going to be really bad. And I'm like, I'm not afraid it's going to be bad. I don't care if it's bad. If it's bad, then there will still, like the Hobbit films were bad, but like I, but actually there are lots of interesting questions. Like there are lots of ways in which during the course of thinking about them in advance and the riddles in the dark podcast I was doing, um, you know, analyzing them and discussing them throughout, um, I, I found my understanding of the Hobbit and the between Hobbit and Lord of the Rings chronological material um, was greatly enriched by the process yeah. of that. And even again, even though you can't explain to somebody what makes it, <laughs> what makes the Hobbit films bad films or your bad a bad adaptation, without spending some time appreciating what is you know going on in the original. And that's why, like, I, I'm not, I think we talked about it last time, I'm not bothered by this discussion of what I liked and what I didn't like, because it's usually really revealing. Like, mm-hmm. when I really like something, I want to find out why I really like something, and when I really right. dislike something, why do I really dislike it? And that does take you back to the text. So, yeah, if something gives you that opportunity to be like, oh, I hated this, that's a strong word for something, you know, about a text, because I really loved it in the book when, and it made me feel this way, and I don't feel that, and they did yeah. it visually that way, which doesn't mesh with, you know, yeah. so you, you have this process. So comparison's really helpful in that respect. It's really problematic when you use it as a value marker, right? Like when, yeah. when comparison is how you're telling if something is good or bad, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, so... Let me give another example. It's a smallish example, but it's an example of something where I my attention was drawn to something in the book that I'd never really paid attention to at all before. Um, and this was in The Return of the King when they're shooting their catapults, you know, the, the trebuchets from the Orc army. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first time I remember my reaction when the first rock comes across and hits the walls of Minas Tirith and it crumbles like a pile of wooden blocks inexpertly stacked by a toddler, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I just reeled back like, what on earth is going on here, right? Um, and I was appalled at the siege scenes. Um now, I had never really thought much about the walls of Minas Tirith. Like, this wasn't, like, I had not spent any time with that. And yet, like, as soon as I saw that on screen, this, into, like, I kind of, it crystallized things. Like, Minas Tirith, like, are you kidding me? Minas Tirith is the greatest example of, like, you know, Numenorean architectural technology. The Ents couldn't even scratch Orthanc. And the entirety of the walls of Minas Tirith are like that. Right. Mm. Um, the way in which the walls of Minas Tirith are supposed to invoke this awe, like the awe of the ancient world, um, the kind of awe that led, you know, Anglo-Saxon people to look at Roman aqueduct ruins and say, like, giants once dwelt in this land building things. Right. Um, that same kind of awe, like, but Numenor, like, even more. Right. Um, and, uh, Anyway, so I, um, but I never, but I hadn't, I didn't actually, I'd never formed that thought. Like I'd had that impression, but, Uh and and like, as soon as it came up, I found that I knew it and I could talk about it at great length, Uh but I'd never really thought about it. I'd never really appreciated that element before. It's something that had always been just kind of, that I had taken for granted going through. 
But as soon as I saw that and started to complain about how and how much how annoyed I was, I began to realize, I'm like, actually, that's really kind of an important effect in the book, isn't it? And I've never really thought about it before. Well, and I mean, I just watched it and went, wow, that's so cool. But now hearing that, I'm like, well, wouldn't it have been interesting if the first few bounced off like pebbles? Yes. And then they up their game and then they up their game. So you really realize the strength of Minas Tirith, but also the strength of the enemy and the weapons that they had in their arsenal. Yeah. If you really upped that, that would have yeah, been really it would have. For instance, one of the things that it would have done, um, one of the things that they kept from the book, but which had mm. very almost yeah. none of the emotional impact that it had in the book was when they lobbed decapitated heads of yeah. dead soldiers in. They kept that. Um, but in the book, it's basically like they they have they're not going to be able to get through the walls, right? They do eventually take down the gates, right? But they know they're not going to be able to get through the walls. Like all they can do is like spiritual warfare, right? right. And they do eventually set fire to it as well. But um, but the the like you know having the Nazgul flying overhead, oppressing them with uh it, you know with 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 fear and despair. And then the lobbing of the heads, uh, you know, and, and the way that that gets described, especially in the context of the increasing despair of Denethor. Um, it's it's so again, it, it in the film, again, they kept the chuck in the heads, but it becomes like a almost like gimmicky. Right. There's yeah. um, like, why do you need to like, what's the point of sending over the decapitated heads if you can just, you know, go through the wall like you're driving a bulldozer, you know, like you're uh, punching through paper, exactly. like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, it was, um, uh, it was something that, um, but again, my point is okay. it's an example. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, one of the clearest examples of, I mean, even like what I was just describing about the effect of the heads, right. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought that through in that same way. And so looking at the similarities and differences, even trying to figure out like, why was it that I found the siege of Minas Tirith so much less moving in mm -hmm. the film than I did in the book, um, helped me to appreciate what was going on in those moments in the book so much more. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I really think um, that this is, this is why I find almost any adaptation a net gain because it inspires you to do this kind of... So that was one of the things. So things that, um, things that brought me around, right? That was one of the things that brought me around when I realized, like, okay, it's not that I've changed my opinion of how good I think the adaptation is, but I now have a different perspective, right? So that the, um, the like, fiery indignation of my purism was really dampened down because yeah. instead of being all like, these films are doing harm, I'm like, well, actually, it's kind of doing good. Um, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. to admit, it's kind of doing good. Um, I'm fending yeah. off my own battle here, so thank you guys for being uh, you know, <laughs> yes. my little minion. Yes. He sees that I have treats as Briberson, and now he's after them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's trying to get on camera. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like we've been saying, I think it's just a really useful exercise. There's, I don't know if I can go so far. There you go. I don't know if I can go so far to say every adaptation is a net gain. That 
that feels like a stretch for me sometimes and this is my field but <laughs> right <laughs> but i get right. what you mean of just like it's an impetus to talk about something so if, yeah. if there's a way for me to continue engaging with something i love in different ways heck yes i mean if that's if that's not the imprint of a fan, I don't really know what one is, right? You right. want to follow every avenue and read every message and fall down every rabbit hole and learn all the things. So that's one of the things that really, I'm going off topic now, but that's one of the things that really bugs me when people would say something like, oh, I'm not gonna read the Harry Potter books. I don't like kids' books, but I hate them for this reason. Like you have to <laughs> engage with the thing before you're allowed to hate it. Yes. with a passion right so like yes at least engage with it and and if you're going to engage with it like we've said throughout this whole thing why not engage with an open mind and maybe give yourself the chance to like something they can be different yeah. and you can like both yeah. but it's so nice when it gives you that like ability to view the thing you love in a different way that's that's pretty rare and pretty powerful yeah yeah i mean ultimately at the end of the day the thing exactly. that brought me to really change my attitude towards adaptations was the realization that I don't have a, as clear a memory of like what exactly led me to that moment. Um, but sort of the end point of all of this process was the recognition that like, wait a second, the adaptation and the original are not the same. What? I know. Right. It yeah. seems really simple when you say it that way. But, um, but, but again, the, what I would have said in, what I was saying in the year 2000 and 2001 and what I've heard so many people say in the last year has been, that's not Tolkien. That's well, no, no, of course it's no, not. He, he didn't write this. <laughs> he didn't write yeah. this. You know, yeah. he didn't, this is not, this is not and it. same and same with any adaptation to be perfectly yeah. honest, because yeah. Tolkien didn't write the script, you know, like he wasn't involved in writing a visual medium. It's his works, but, no, this isn't Tolkien. It's we're not. we're taking it a different way. And that's okay. And yeah. and and to 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 really realize that. And again, this is um this is then also connected to um the question the and which again, you know, felt like déjà vu for me so many times. This anxiety that fans have that an adaptation is going to do harm yeah. to Tolkien. Like, it's, this is going to ruin Tolkien. It's going to... Um, it is not going to ruin Tolkien. It is a different thing from Tolkien. And, you know, we will sometimes kind of jokingly say, like, you know, no, I just checked my books and they've not changed you yeah, know, yeah, since yeah, the yeah. film came out. Yeah. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's as kind of a, a, a little, little flippant yeah. way to, to say it. But um, but it really is true. And And here's the other side of the coin as well. It's not to say that there might not be like it perhaps there might be somebody who sees the films or watches the show who has never read Tolkien, who might have read Tolkien and in some parallel universe become a fan of Tolkien, but have been turned off by Tolkien by the adaptation. And oh. now they're not going to, you know, and yeah. so the, in that way, harm is being done. Right. Um, because now people have this idea, this wrong idea of Tolkien that's been projected by this thing and they think they know what Tolkien is, but that's not what Tolkien is. Um, and they've been like turned off by or whatever. And so harm is being done to Tolkien in that way. Um, and again, this is exactly what we were, what we purists were all saying back in yeah. the late 90s and in when the films were coming out. And 
I have seen this, the Peter J- that, that this was the other thing which really ultimately changed me around in my overall attitude to the films is watching the aftermath, watching the impact that it had. Um, despite all of its flaws, all of the things that I would have said they got wrong. Um, and then, you know, of course, starting my podcast after that and doing uh, Tolkien stuff after that and seeing how many thousands of people um, who were, you know, read Tolkien for the first time because of seeing the films. And beca- yeah. and in the end, I cannot, I absolutely, there's no way anybody could make a reasonable argument to say that the Peter Jackson films have not been a net gain yeah. for Tolkien's, no matter what you think of them, you might still think the movies are horrible um, and a terrible adaptation and bastardization of Tolkien's world. Um, you can you can believe that you can, you can that. support that yeah. argument, but you cannot say that ultimately harm has been done. Um, and this is why I am not afraid of whatever happens again. Like, you know people hear me talk about the rings of power and they'll still like pull me aside and they'll be like, yeah, but, 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 really? what, if it, yeah. but what if it gets, <laughs> you know, like seriously, are you like, aren't you a little bit concerned about what they're doing and like what it could do? And I'm like, no, I'm not even a little bit concerned. Like, I'm, you know, will there be the kind of, will it have, will it bear as much fruit as the Peter Jackson films bore? Yeah. I don't know that it will. Um, that's a pretty high bar. Um, uh, all things considered, I mean, and, and a lot of that has to do with things that are not necessarily intrinsic to like, have as much to do with the occasion. Like you were describing, Maggie, the way in which that kind of opened the door to things. Um, even if the Peter Jackson films, you know, if you could imagine an alternate world in which the Peter Jackson films were being released now for the first time, they would not have the same impact. Right. I mean, it's it's like it's there was something in that moment there yeah. they they captured something they're like at they were it, it was an important moment in the history of filmmaking and and that, that where they came in at, at just that right time in a sense and so and many facets about how moment. it was and and so many facets about how it was presented like i i keep going back to that because i i feel like that was just as important as what they were creating was how they were creating it so it wasn't just the showing the behind the scenes. It was the, the actual people and how they loved each other and the camaraderie because mm-hmm. it felt like a fellowship. They got matching tattoos for dang sake, you know, right. like there's all these elements that they promoted as a marketing material. Like, look at them all getting their tattoos. But you felt it at the core that these guys really had this connection with each other as well and lived this experience and were good people loving the whole process. And we're still seeing that, you know, like during the mm-hmm. pandemic, they did the reunion. They're they're posting pictures on their Instagram all the time of them out for meals and doing dances on con stages and all this stuff. So like there's something about the the projection of yourself as a fan and aligning yourself with the fellowship, calling yourself the fellowship as you're acting as the fellowship. You're walking that line between reality and fiction and they're doing it so well that we're on board, you know, like I'm so happy you're happy about this thing that I love and I want to join as opposed to, you know, the dark is rising, which is always my go to when they ask the lead actor, oh, are you excited that there's this is a series and you'll you'll be back to do the sequel and he goes, oh, there's more, you know, like. That's not that's not what you want from a series. You want somebody to be in, as in love with it as you are. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I um, 
Yeah, it's not to say that no harm can ever be done. And, you know, people will talk about, I mean, I see some people referring to, you know, some folks who get like, uh, you know, Star Wars fans who are fans of the original trilogy, but have been turned off by things that happened. You know, they, you know, they hate the later films so much that now Star Wars is dead to them. Um, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, I'm um, sorry for you. That's uh, me too. I mean, too. I mean, I, I, um, Though I also, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get all judgy. But part of me does want to say, like, I feel like if that's the case, how big of a fan were you to begin with? Yeah, I mean, if if that's how easy it is for it to be ruined. And nothing has changed for the trilogy. You can keep loving that. You can keep loving it. I know there's the fear of like sharing the new thing and if if this is what people know as Star Wars and it's so embarrassing you don't want to align yourself with it. Okay, but I'm sorry for you. Right. I mean, I, exactly. Yeah. It's it's, you know, that person may have lost something, but I'm not sure how big was the thing that was lost necessarily. Mm. I mean, I don't know. It's it's um I have a hard time I have a hard time really I don't know that th- really feeling that is a big problem, honestly. Yeah. I, um, I, I feel pretty capable of separating and I guess it's just too close for some people, but I mean, it also took me a long time to get there. So like, I get it, you know, I, I would be leading the pack with the pitchfork and torch in my hand to hate the thing that I loved the text of. And it took a long time to come around to that. So maybe it's just a process. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, yeah. Uh, Von Diel says it reminds me of the reaction for the Game of Thrones last seasons. And yeah. that actually is a really interesting... That's a really good example of what I was just trying to think of, of not something where, like, sequels and later works, like Star Wars prequels and, and sequel films, um, have changed things. But when you admire something like so many people admired the first, you know five, six seasons of Game of Thrones and then you dislike the last ones, um, what does that do to your fandom? You know, um, do you say, well, now seasons one through, you know, seven are dead to me or, uh, you know, you know, I don't know. And, and again, and again, to me, I'd be tempted to be like, well, if that's your reaction, well, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, and for that, I'm, I'm kind of back to your first one of like, well, isn't that fascinating? Like, what happened? And then it's just really interesting. And it can be disappointing. I get that. Yes. Like, what a, a missed opportunity. And that's a shame that you had, you know, I think about that with most DC adaptations. You had millions and excellent source material. And that's what you came up with. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to ruin your original. You can still no, love it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I do agree um, with Captain Button that um, another reason that it is hard for me to see the people who are like, but now it is dead to me um, as a major like cost of Mm. subsequent adaptations is that it's hard for me not to hear people who say that as like this. There's a certain kind of um, social credential to having that sort of perspective. Right. Yeah. Like, let me show you like how, you know, sort of principled I am and, and how, you know, yeah. how much of a non bandwagon jumper I am and whatever. Right. Like, I, I'm a pure. Yeah. 
yeah, th- there, there's a certain amount of cachet that you know of of yeah. social capital that comes yeah. with claiming to be so. Um, uh, Kevin Button, what was the word um, that you used? Um, yeah, to show off how pure and dedicated they are. And Vajarna's um, sort of there. I love it so much. I'm willing to kill it to keep it pure. This is my gate, and I'm going to keep it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and so there again, it. it it's another, I do also, I mean, I'm not saying I'm questioning the motivations of everybody, but like there's a sense in which um, just as like complaining about things is many people's thing, right? Um, it's a hobby. You, yeah, and you kind of wonder like how happy would these people be if it actually were good or if they thought it actually was good? You know, would they have to, you know, still complain just because that's what they, that's what, that's what they do? So, I mean, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard, yeah. it's hard for me to, uh, uh, to really say that, but again, like, how many really tragic moments have there been? You know, if somebody who has turned off Tolkien forever because they saw the Peter Jackson films or because they saw the Rings of Power and said, like, "Well, now I will never read. I was going to read Tolkien and become a yeah. big fan, but now I'm not." I'm not saying it would. It could never happen. Um, but that's why, again, I think my question is like, even if that does happen, is it outweighed by the number of people who discover it who might never have? And in the question of Peter Jackson, clearly, yes. Um, So anyway, um, yeah. uh, And again, you're still allowed to have your opinions on all of these things. We're just sharing. Well, that's a shame. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, let's. Uh, how do we tie this back to fellowship? I feel like we okay. need to. Yeah, let's let, let's get back. In. I know this is a this is kind of a preamble episode more than anything else, really. But what's um, new with us? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about some of the specific things. So, thinking about Fellowship of the Ring as a first film, right when that came out, um, yeah. and about what it's doing. So, this is obviously a retelling adaptation, right? Um, where they're really just trying to sort of do the story all the way through. Um, as I say, the the number one thing was okay. clearly that it was obvious that they were making a good movie, both in the sense that they were like they were producing, they were telling a good story, and and that what they were producing was very well done. Like all mm-hmm. of the, you know, I'm tempted to say peripherals, but I don't think film people would consider them peripherals. Things like the art Perfect. and the sets and the costuming and 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 everything else. Um, uh, all of that stuff was obviously excellent with yeah. this film. I, I would say high budget, but it wasn't that massive a budget. It was $93 million, $97 million, something like that. So, I mean, in context, it wasn't mahoosive, but they made yeah. it work. I mean, sets yeah. and helicopters and live action and everything else, real horses, training, stunts, Yeah. high-end. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so... Thinking about the story that they're telling and comparing and contrasting, um, I'm thinking in terms in some ways that we were just discussing during our Christmas Carol discussions. What is... Okay, how about this for an exercise? The Peter Jackson Fellowship of the Ring film. What's it about? What is the heart of that story? What is that a story about? Like the fellowship. What, the fellowship. Okay. Just the first one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just the first film. So I, as a first film, you've gone, you've watched the first movie. Mm. Um, what are they? 
giving you? What is the core story of foundation? That I would say foundation of the fellowship, right? Like we have to know the threat of the ring. Just ignore this guy. I am the threat of the ring mm -hmm. and the power of the fellowship. Because I mean, that council of Elrond, right? Like, yeah, you shall be known as the fellowship of the ring. Like you could have ended the movie there and we would have been like, yeah, like that's, we get it. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. So, um, you're ridiculous. If we think about the shape of the story in the film, you've got the council of Elrond, right? Right in the middle, that sort of defining mm -hmm. moment in the middle of the story. Um, but I also think about where the film goes, um, how it leads up to Frodo's choice to leave the fellowship. <laughs> But even more climactically, it leads up to Aragorn and Boromir, right? Mm -hmm. Boromir's death. This is, of course, a major, one of the big changes that they made. A huge change. This would have been my nominee, may still be my nominee, for biggest change that even many Tolkien fans didn't really notice or process much. At least almost nobody talked about at the time. The moving Boromir's death from the beginning of book of book three to the end of uh, of of book two, essentially. Um, and anyway, it was it was um, uh, that has a huge impact on the end of the book. And I think of the way in which both the moment when Aragorn refuses the ring, right when he mm -hmm. folds Frodo's hand closed mm. over the ring. Um, when it looks like, you know, they set it up to look like he might be uh, trying to get the ring. So, the, like, the way they have his choice and Boromir's choice corresponding with each other, the way that they set this up, especially through Rivendell with men are weak, right, and the weakness of men and uh, and the, 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 the kind of, um, you know, overarching um, heritage of Isildur, right, mm -hmm. um, setting up. Uh, so that was... That's that's where all the focus is at the end of the film, right? Between Aragorn and Boromir. And then the final fight with the orcs, where mm -hmm. Aragorn, of course, turns away from the ring and instead turns to fight the, uh, you know, 800 orcs that are coming, running up the, the hill at him, right? I'm going to take on and all And that's also where he takes up the mantle, says, I, our people, I will yes. not let our people fall. Our right. people. You know, that big moment of yes. stepping yes. into his role. Man, and the, that moment between Aragorn and Boromir is mm -hmm. so well done. It's yeah, so well really done. Really powerful. Um, um, even... Um, Poor Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah, poor Sean Bean. But even with the very, like, what they're doing in that moment is quite different from what the book is doing in that moment. But the Boromir Aragorn death moment, right? Totally different. I would go so far as to say almost totally different um, in the book and the film. And yet it's really excellent. Um, the, uh, oh, who is it who just said the yeah, meow indeed was just saying the book version is perfect the movie version is perfect totally nice. true totally yeah, true yeah um yeah yeah so and that should be the goal right like the goal is that they're both perfect but they can absolutely be told in different ways yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah no it was um it's it's very um 
And that, that, sorry, back to that scene, that scene did so much too. It separated the fellowship. So mm -hmm. our fellowship was aligned and solid and strong and we were on board and yeah, they would die for each other, but that separated our fellowship that paired everybody off to where they're going to be and made Aragorn step into the right light, killed off Boromir, showed the strength of the temptation of the ring, the power of the ring by having him disappear again. Like there were so many things that happened in that element mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the very powerful scene. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and then it's of so course, beautifully lit too, right? Like it's just a bright, shiny, sunny day. Yeah. And then we have this massive, bloody, dark battle. But you see that throughout the whole series, too. The first, I mean, Fellowship is just brighter. And yes. the, the poster is brighter. The lights are warmer. The grating is, is shinier. And by the time you get to Return of the King, everything's just dark and grim and <laughs> fiery and black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And the, the importance of the character of the ring in a sense um the focal the way that they made the ring the focal point um uh frodo's how they emphasized in the context of this as you say the sort of the fellowship focus you know of the of that film um they really highlighted that Frodo was leaving the company in order to save it, right? Yeah. It was an act of fellowship on his part to take the ring away, um, lest it do more harm, like it had already begun doing to Boromir, um, which then doubles down on the significance of Sam sticking with him. Yeah. Right. I'm going alone, Sam. Of course you are, and I'm coming with you. Right, right, exactly. Um, so... That, I think, is the heart of the films. I do not think it's the heart of the book in the same mm. way. I'm not saying the relationship among the company is not important, but I don't think it has anything like the prominence in the book that it does in the film. Yeah. Um, and that is an interesting... It's an interesting, and again, I, you never hear anybody complaining about this. You know, I've never heard a purist being like, they totally ramped up the emphasis on the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, of course, we were observing when we were, um, uh, when we were in Exploring the Lord of the Rings over the last six months, um, the phrase, the Fellowship of the Ring, is almost never used yeah. in the book. It's called the Company of the Ring. Um, the breaking of the fellowship, the title of that chapter is one of the first times that that word is used in relationship to the group, to that group of people. Well, and fellowship has quite a different meaning, you know, yeah. it, I, th I think the fellowship of the ring, it's taken on a different meaning. But if you just use the word fellowship, I always think religion, right? Like I think following in kind of a spiritual sense. And that's not necessarily what this fellowship means. That means more of a company. So right. It, Interesting, just kind of shift of the meaning. Yeah, yeah. Um, it um, anyway. So it's it's. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we do get emphasis. Of, I mean, again, I'm not saying that the fellowship emphasis is absent in uh, in the book, but I would have a hard time saying, considering the book alone, that that really is the core of like books one and two of the Lord of the Rings, um, meaning the Fellowship of the Ring. 
Um, so, nor do I think the ring, um, the way the ring is treated is fairly different. So, one of the biggest changes... One of my nominations for most significant change made to the story in the Fellowship of the Ring film mm-hmm. is the there. There were several. Um, uh, Bilbo in the book talks about how everybody at the Council of Elrond got some eye openers. Um, that's his phrase. I think it, everybody got an eye opener. Even Gandalf was caught on the hop, uh, though Gandalf tells him he was wrong. Um, but. Um, there were a bunch of eye openers for me from an adaptation standpoint in the in in the in the Council of Elrond. One, of course, being that Boromir's heard of Aragorn by name, and I was like, "What? Huh? <laughs> what Wait. is happening here?" But the biggest thing is when they say, when Boromir says, "It's a gift. We should use yeah. the ring," and he's told, "We can't." It won't. It will only work for Sauron, and I was that. That's that's it. That's the biggest change I think in the entire yeah. Fellowship of the Ring film. That's the most significant deviation from Tolkien's story. Because of also course, you can see why they would make that decision. Because we don't have time to go through all of that nuance. We just need to know. Nope, not an option. Well, but see, that's the thing, is that in some ways I find it ironic, because they're trying to emphasize the significance of the ring and the temptation for the ring. And I'm like, temptation to what? Right. You can't use to it. To try to wield it. But to they... try to wield But like, they've made it overtly delusional. To mm. like, And so therefore they make the, like, <laughs> there's something you're being tempted to. Like when Bormir has, imagines taking the ring and using it against Sauron and he's spinning out the, his fantasies and his, in his, um, you know, his ring induced monologue. Um, yeah. With, uh, with you know, before he tries to take the ring from Frodo, his plan, like, I'm not saying it's a realistic plan. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's a probable plan, but it's at least a possible plan. Like, he can, there's, there's grounds for him to convince himself that it yeah. might pan out, right? Yeah. The film removes, tries to remove that systematically as a possibility while still insisting that everybody's really tempted. And so people talk about how the ring is more of a character in the films. And I think there, there's a sense in which that's true. I don't think I disagree with that statement categorically. And yet oh no, yeah. they've depersonalized it. Like, yeah. It's funny. Like even in the chat here, they were talking about who's the big bad in the book versus film. And I think, I think that's a really valid observation that in the book yeah. it's Sarah and in the film it's, it's the ring, but they absolutely take that element away from it, but it is the threat. You know, Sauron wields the ring. It's the ring that causes the issue. Yeah, yeah. But again, when I say depersonalize, I mean, like, they treat it like a drug. Yeah. Or like a radioactive element or something. Like, it has a corruptive effect on you. It harms you in these ways. Mm-hmm. But, again, they've deep Like, it's like the way in which they were... Uh, to leap ahead... To the Return of the King, um, the way that he w- he did the like uh, Smeagol the Gollum sequence at the start, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you know, and I remember in the commentaries, you know, them talking about looking at. I think it wasn't a heroin addiction that they were mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they were looking kind of modeling that after. It was heroin, meth, one of them. 
something. I, I think I, yeah. I think heroin, but anyway, whatever. Um, but the point is, that's exactly that's exactly what it is not in the book. It's not just yeah. Yeah. a drug. It's not just radio. Like there is, it is always working on the imaginations yeah. of people. Like that's why, like my long-standing joke about you know r- people's ring-induced monologues. People don't monologue like that in the films because it's not how the ring operates exactly. Yeah, um, yeah um, autoflagellator. I agree. Says they don't really make it clear what power the ring would grant you or why it would be so tempting in the movie. Right? It's just a force. You know, it's a force of corruption on people. Wonder if that's deliberate. I mean, maybe that's to make it more malleable for those watching it that you don't want the black and white you just want everyone to kind of envision what it's like the mirror said right in harry potter mm-hmm. like whatever you yeah, look yeah. into it you see what you need to see so maybe it's just keeping it broad so we just see it all as a big temptation but for me that could mean one thing for you could mean another yeah yeah um, appealability right yeah it's um and if even thinking about the way that they talk about the weakness of men right they make it even there by talking about it, they're making it less about the ring and more about you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, are you going to, oh, so, you know, Aragorn's all worth, there's this weakness in me, right? Remember, you know, he's, 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 he's talking about the weakness in him and he's, his he's expressing his doubts to Arwen when they're in Rivendell. Right. Um, and the, the, you know, it's one of the big questions of that first film is like, is he going to overcome his weakness, like his inherent human weakness, um, uh, and be able to resist? And of course, he like that moment, you know, at Amon Hen when he, um, you know, closes Frodo's fingers over the ring, is his moment of triumph. Like that's when Aragorn proves himself, right? But what's he overcome? He's not overcome the ring. He's overcome himself. Mm. He's overcome mm-hmm. his own weakness. And, and so did Gladwell, right? Like, I, now I can yes. retire. Yeah, she yes. says the same kind of thing. Oh, I, I have succeeded. I have overcome that threat. Right. And again, yeah. another, like, little change there. Like, again, there's so many people who talk about the Galadriel scene, and they're like, oh, like, they stayed so close to the book. And I'm like, yes and no. Like, there's some mm. major... Here's, here's, here's my what I would point to as the biggest single difference. I might be wrong about this, but the biggest single difference between the Galadriel temptation moment in the film and in the book, she's panting at the end in the film. Mm. That is my vote for the biggest change. It seems like a tiny and, thing, right? Yeah. I'm like, see, that's something I wouldn't even notice, but I, I see why she's undergoing this almost physical, like, physical oh, I would be, oh, and then yeah. when she's like, no, no, I fought it down. I fought it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I accept this. Right. Um, in the book, she is completely calm. She's like, I am not going to do this. And let me explain to you why I'm not going yeah. to do this. Right. And I'm not trying to, minimize the fact that that is an important moment. Like, a thing happens there. Like, it's not trivial what occurs. She That is a moment of her passing the test. And it's a big deal. But it's not the same... Exactly. Ms. Ms. Manrique points out she laughs Yeah. in, in that moment in the book. Um, and, and again, this is what I mean. Like, this is this whole, like... This is what I mean when I'm saying the struggle is with themselves more than it is with the ring. Right. It's all about like me overcoming my own temptations. And um, uh, and, you know, and again, it's not a criticism. It works in the film. 
Right. But again, this is, this is, I'm, I'm trying to get at like where, how, where the core of the film is and where the core of the book is and how those two things differ because it's fascinating. I, um, I am not sure at the end of the day, when I think back to our Christmas Carol discussions, right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Um, as I was watching these different adaptations, I was like, okay, I think the core, uh, to me really is the, like the change in Scrooge, right? Like that, an experience like this, that this kind of experience of self-reflection um, and self-evaluation can lead to real change in a person seems to be the core of the Christmas Carol story. Um, and you can alter anything else, but if you don't, which is why even the really funny Blackadder inversion of it is still in a sense a true adaptation. They still keep the core. They, they reverse it comically, right? But they still keep the core. That real change can happen, right, yeah. through self-evaluation. Um, they're laughing at it, but they're laughing at exactly the right thing. Yeah, the right, right? thing. Um, my, so here's my question. Does the Fellowship of the Ring film stay true to the core of the book? I'm not sure it does. I, I don't think that, I mean, this doesn't mean like now I'm deciding anew that it's a bad uh, adaptation. I'm becoming a purist yep. again. Um, but I'm not really, this, um, what I am not convinced of still after all these years, I no longer am upset about it. I no longer rant about it. Um, I am still not convinced that the Peter Jackson films really got the books like people talk about especially of course there's so many so many people in this past year who were holding up the peter jackson films as the shining example of like how you get tolkien and how you do like they stayed so close to the books and this is you know rings of power is doing all this crazy stuff and i've always been resistant to that from the minute people started saying that well yeah because go 20 odd years ago and that's not what they were saying right but even but again but even now looking at it like Again, I'm not. I, I don't take back any of the good things that I said. I, it's a wonderful movie. It's a really mm. good adaptation. But it's a really good adaptation that's making some serious shifts. It is not, I think, telling the same story yeah. that the books well, is telling. The books and is telling. And core aside too, I think we have to remember the the how they tell the story. You know, there's chat here about like well how would you do that on film it's similar to our conversation about compression and uh, an emergency room you know we've brought up a few times yeah. like yeah we can't just have the oh i came in with a high fever so i'm going to wait for four hours until i'm seen by a doctor that's real boring right so right we get those pages and pages and pages of galadriel's strength and you know ability of, of wisdom and all that kind of stuff that works but we don't have that on screen. We need something that has a little bit more of a push and drives us forward. I, I get that. It makes sense in that short moment to have that kind of physical representation because we can see that as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's hard to see inner sure. turmoil as a visual thing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, this is one of the, obviously one of the biggest challenges that the Peter Jackson films were facing, right? Is that so much of the core drama. If the core drama is how the ring is acting first on the ring bearer and secondly on the people around the ring bearer, how do you show that? I mean, it's all internal. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and that that's a huge challenge. And, and I mean, that's a huge conversation in filmmaking anyway. Like, how do you do internal? And everybody's, you know, favorite scapegoat is voiceover because we all like making fun of voiceover. It's such a like uh, cheat. It right? seems like a cop out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, oh, no, it's voiceover. There's other the funny ways thing, to try to do it. The funny thing is the voiceover is the exact equivalent of how a book does it yeah. by having the yeah. narrator tell you about it. Right. Yeah. You know, like giving a narr- the, and having a, there be a narrator voice. Um, and uh, I, 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 and I, maybe, maybe this is what I've never hated voiceover. I, 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 I kind of like voiceover um, often. I mean, I'm not saying it's never done poorly it and I never dislike it. depends how it's used. Yeah. It's, if it's like expected, I'm fine with it. It, it. If it bookends like Lord of the Rings, that's great. You know, introduced with all the rings and Gladriel's voice over top of the five rings and all that. Mm-hmm. That was great. It's when it's kind of like interjected, and you're like, I, we haven't heard anybody voiceover, and now all of a sudden we've got voiceover, and yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean obviously there, there, that can be that can be um, that can be that can be different, but anyway, I, I yeah. the con- I mean, we're coming towards the end of our time, and we need to let people go. But the the my I'm down big to my last conclusion treat and here. he's under the table, so this is oh, getting dire. Yeah, it is. It's, it's gonna get. You're gonna. I'll bring him up in a the, minute, guys. Don't worry. The siege uh, uh, is gonna intensify I'm gonna be there in a moment. Soon. Yep. Um, but you, my overall conclusion is again, I don't think that the Fellowship of the Ring. It's just focusing for right for right now on the Fellowship of the Ring as we're doing. I don't think the Fellowship of the Ring is a very close adaptation of the Lord of the Rings in the sense of really thoughtfully keying in on the, like taking the major themes that are focused on in the books and transmitting those in the film. I don't think it does that, but I think it's an excellent adaptation and it's an, I mean, they're, they're brilliant films and it's an excellent adaptation, but I don't think that it, I don't think that it does that. I don't think that it's necessarily even trying to do that. Exactly. Um, uh, but um, anyway, I, there, there, there's much more to because, and I'm I'm not trying to make like just like enormous blanket sta- blanket statements here, um, but I think that there is there's there's a significant gap. The observation that there is a gap that is not in itself a criticism. That's not me hating on the Peter Jackson films. That right. is simply like they're. I think that they're doing something else, and I think that a lot of people. Again, when I this is why. Um, my response tended to be when people like on Twitter were saying things like the Peter Jackson films were so faithful and look at what they're doing in the rings of power. And I'm just like, there is not time. I can't even like, <laughs> we can't, it would take a long time to, to, to respond to that. But, um, uh, anyway, um, I will. Uh, so I, I think that we should continue to to yeah. pursue this, especially yeah. as we look at the other and we think some about the other films as well, and think about what they are like, how they are shaped, how their stories are presented, and how they're really focusing things. Um, yeah, I don't want to just. I don't want to jump straight to Two Towers next. I feel like. Yeah. We'll, we'll come up with another heading, but I feel like we had to just kind of introduce the idea of Peter Jackson's, and we'll we'll keep working our way through it. There's also so many like little fun facts and Easter eggs and things like that as as little tricks to the readership that we haven't really discussed as a, a big picture topic that would be kind of fun to pull into some of this. But yeah, or we're, we're on next week, right? It's the week after. Yes. Yeah, and it's the week on. after uh, that. Yeah, when I'll be, okay. I'll be. And next week Australia. is normal, so we can oh, continue this, can't we? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we can. We we should be able to continue this next week. Yeah, and um, 
Uh, Chucky Witka, I agree. Um, it would be interesting. To, what we haven't done too much is talking about the characters, relationship yeah. between the film characters and the book characters. That would be interesting to do a little bit more. Um, look at some of the ways in which they're, um, again, uh, you know, both clearly similarities and details there. Yeah. But anyway, all right, awesome, uh, fun first discussion. Good start. We good will, uh, yeah, good start. Good start good is a good start. way to talk about it. We will continue this discussion next time um, in, uh, uh, yeah, in one week and then a week off. So uh, next week. And when we come back, I'm like, just if you guys want to prep, when we come back from that February 2nd, we're going to have two folks from the Signum community on talking about Dune. So yeah. if you want to rewatch Dune before then, maybe reread Dune, but I might re listen to Dune. We'll see. That but. counts. If you're, if oh, you're that counts. Yeah, I'm reading with my ears. Counts. Yeah, I read with my ears all the time. Do almost all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. awesome. So yeah, I think we're we're going to be focused. I think on the on the the recent Dune. Yeah. Um, yeah. Though I'm sure our guests would be happy to talk oh, about the Lynch Dune as well. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. Hi. Cool. Very good. Right. Um, so yeah, so that'll be on February second. But we'll do more. We'll do more Peter Jackson discussion next time before we have to put that on hold for a couple of weeks. But awesome. Thanks everybody. Good. See you guys later. Bye now. Bye.